Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast brought to you in association with The Telegraph and with Amazon Prime Video UK, the home of the US Open in the UK. That's what it's going to be in just a few weeks' time when the US Open gets underway. We come to you right now from Wimbledon because we are just coming towards the conclusion of the event here and we are taking this opportunity to take your questions in the company of our executive producer, Melanie Bowes, who is choosing the very best of the questions or certainly the one she likes that you've all sent in for Catherine Whitaker and myself David Law so Catherine shall we get underway are you ready for this test ready as I'll ever be <laughs> I'm a test. bit scared Hang on, it's a test it's a, well I think Don't frame it as a test I think we David. do get marked at the end of it yeah we get a grade everything anyway we'll start with somebody who calls themselves Nadal True goat oh really my alarm bells start ringing when people have uh, tennis player names in their social media handles yeah but this is melody bows who's chosen it so yeah you know, there's going to be an angle here I, I i rather suspect would you believe goat comes up in the actual question <laughs> oh, yeah as well so uh, the question is what more does nadal has to achieve to be widely considered the greatest of all time he has already achieved a lot and he's five years younger than Roger Federer. Well, as we sit here right now, he has just been beaten by Novak Djokovic in the semi-finals, an absolute classic of a match. Semi-finals of Wimbledon, so he's not going to be winning an 18th Grand Slam title here, but, you know, he's still going strong. He is. He will win more Grand Slam titles. How many remains to be seen? For me, the simplest answer for that question is to match or better Roger Federer's Grand Slam total because I think if for me if he matches it if they're even on Grand Slams um, I at that point would probably go to the Olympic gold medal the, mm. the after Grand Slam titles that's probably what I'd go to I know Roger Federer has one in doubles but we're looking at, at singles prowess here so if you're looking at things to choose between them that is, that would be you know like you know like you go to goal difference and then you go to goal scored and then you go to fair play record or whatever it is my next thing after i try and do these things as scientifically as possible because otherwise you're in dodgy dodgy murky treacherous territory 
uh, the Olympic gold would be my decider at that point. But um, I know a lot of people think that you should try and weight it in favour of Nadal because he only has one Grand Slam played on his favourite surface. But then you could make the same argument for Federer. And OK, hard courts maybe on paper suit him a bit better. But I don't know. Again, I think you're getting into such un- unscientific territory there. Um that for me it would go to I mean hey Roger Federer could win Olympic gold in Tokyo 2020 I suspect he would like to have a go at it because I suspect somewhere very very deep in the Roger Federer psyche that niggles like a tiny tiny bit especially (laughs) given that he couldn't play Rio yeah that that would be my attempt to to answer the unanswerable question does does the head-to-head come into play for you at all obviously it's still heavily weighted in favor of Rafael Nadal although Roger Federer has won about the last four it would be quite far down. It would probably be even with fair play record on the sort of decisive factors. I'm not saying it's irrelevant, but for me it wouldn't be one of the key indicators of, of who were greater because tennis is all about matchups. What you're saying that, I don't know, I'm trying to think of one of tennis's weird, quirky matchups. I was having this conversation with uh, a writer for the ATP, James Bedell, the other day. Um, I know one of the weird tennis matchups is Dominic Team against Kevin Anderson. Like, Team just can't beat Kevin Anderson. He's never beaten him. There are, there are weird things like that, but you don't then say, well, I mean, you might say, but not on that basis that, oh, well, Kevin Anderson's definitely a far better player than, He's than Dominic Team. Career, He's, so he far. is. That bad example. Bad example, David. Think of a quirky, quirky head to head for me. No, Help I. Me. I I can't. They do exist. Marit Safin and Fabrice Santoro. There you go. There's a good one. Very good. Yes, uh, Santoro dominated Safin, but Safin, yeah, had yeah. a better career. So for me, not irrelevant, but not one of the key indicators. Mm. What about for you? Yes, I, I, I think I think you're probably right. I would, yeah, I, I think I would probably agree with that. He's also. Has he won more Davis Cup titles? I don't know whether I think I'd, they both have the one. I think he, he's I think not Nadal's won as many couple, year end. He's not won the so he's not won the ATP finals. No, but again, that's Maybe, on his least favourite. It surface. is on his least favourite surface. But then, would you? Some would perhaps have that ahead of Olympic gold. I don't know. For me, I'd put the Olympic gold. The fact that mm. it's every four years. That's not on his. That's never been on his favourite surface either. So, yeah, honestly, he, yeah. I think if they if they ended on the same number of Grand Slam singles titles, I'd probably just call it a draw. I'd love that. It should be a draw, maybe. You know, the greatest goats of all time. And I know, again, some people might point to the fact that Nadal's had to struggle more, he's had more injury, but then it's not entirely accidental that Federer's had so few injuries. That is part of his greatness, his schedule and body management. I'm not saying he hasn't had a fair slice of luck as well, but haven't all the greats at some stage and in some respect so yeah I, I'd probably say in answer to your question Nadal true goat that <laughs> Nadal has to end up with more slam titles ultimately. I wonder what Nadal true goat thinks about the matter really on the border here <laughs> I don't know it could go either way but anyway uh, Rosin says uh, it's generally known that Roisin, tennis isn't it is it R-O-I-S-I-N oh go on then I think it's Roisin yeah sorry about that Roisin 
she says it's generally known that tennis was dominated by big serves in the 90s but why there was why was there never a situation like the Anderson Isner semi-final where it also went really deep into the fifth back in the days when we had all those big serves is it different racket, racket technology are players fitter and can play longer now or something else I don't you're, think it hasn't happened. Uh, yeah, I, I think we're looking at an anomaly here and trying to, trying to decipher patterns from an anomaly Plus, is not you know, really doable. Been, if, if you go back 30, 40 years where there were no tie breaks in any sets at all, you had a lot of sets that were 18, 16 and things like that. I, I think um, the... The one difference in terms of sheer length of time on a court is that everybody was serving volleying. So all points were lasting three, five, seven strokes, not, yeah. not I mean, 40. Ben Rothenberg today, he's using the, the recent events as, uh, as, as pretty potent ammunition, ammunition in his uh, campaign for best of three sets um, at it's the Slams for, in men's tennis. It's, I respect the relentlessness of his campaign. It is Nadal-esque. Um, but he points to the fact that uh, when best of five set tennis was was uh, decided as, as the, the, the best format for men's tennis, best of five set matches took under an hour. Um, and tennis has evolved so much, um, you know, not obviously in the last hundred years, but just in the last 10 years, you know, thinking about that five hour, 53 minute Australian Open final, you know, when when they were deciding that men should play best of five sets at slams, no one was thinking that that could end up in five hours, 53 minute matches. Hey, I'm still a believer in best of five sets um, with with caveats and with adjustments. I certainly would make adjustments. I think you would too, David. But um, there were long matches there were long matches there were okay there wasn't a 26 24 but that just happens to have been a bit longer than than some of the the long ones there were in the 90s i don't know you you remember the 90s more clearly than i do i do that i do that for sure Uh, 1992 stefan edberg won three successive five set matches to win the u.s open and then a four set match um he beat richard krychek from a a breakdown he beat ivan lendl over five and then he beat michael chang in a match well over five hours um and he still managed to make it back the next day to beat pete sampras in four so and that was with tie breaks in the fifth set. So, you know, it's not it's not like there were not long matches. Uh, Mats Philander and I think John McEnroe played each other for over six hours in the Davis Cup. It it it, it has happened. I know what you mean, Rasheen, but I think it, I think it's more a question of those rallies just being that much shorter, so that most of the five set matches just didn't last as long. Yeah. And you, you know, I mean, look, I, at, I look mean, how I th- long these guys take between points as I, well. I think that's a factor. Absolutely, I think that's a factor. In the nineties, they were, they were pretty quick. You know, we discuss Nick Kyrgios as being a throwback, don't we? Because he, he's so quick between the points. I remember how quick. I know Roddick wasn't technically the nineties, but he was so quick between points. Um, so yeah, I'd agree with that. I do think it's become more of an endurance sport. You do have to be fitter now than ever before, but. Yeah, I think more crucially, it's not like there weren't long, long matches in the 90s. We've just all perhaps erased them from from our memories because they weren't as entertaining as the gruelling long matches that, that we have these days, perhaps. 
Yes, fair point. Lee Tennis says, would tennis as a sport be better off with a single tennis commissioner? Yes. Right now, there's well, too many organisations involved, WTA, ATP, ITF, and both the players and the fans suffer. Uh, unequivocally, yes. I don't know whether Lee Tennis, who I suspect quite likes tennis... Um, is talking about a single human being, a, a John McEnroe style. You've got to get the right one. Yeah. I mean, they do it in other sports, don't they? they? Do. Oh, in David, there are dogs. There are dogs. Yeah, there are dogs walking around on the Wimbledon dogs. roof. I'm so it distracting. Let's I'm going to find it difficult to talk about tennis. Let's nominate one of them as the commissioner. <laughs> and oh, they are work. good dogs. What, what, what defines a good dog? And a, well, I mean, is there such a thing as a bad dog? There, no, there absolutely is not such a thing as a bad dog. But there well, are some dogs that I like more. Really they dog. look, they look like you could have a really good, long, um, meandering, fun walk with them. But then they'd also curl up on your lap afterwards. There must be such a thing as a like a dog you don't like. There's dogs I like less. Right. Okay. Little yappy um, ones. So, commissioners um, of tennis. I think unequivocally wholeheartedly a thousand times yes it would be better for the sport if there were a unified governing body acting in sync and in the greatest interest of tennis of tennis fans of tennis players of tennis um and it i find it quite distressing actually to sometimes see the way the the different bodies pull in different directions at the detriment of the sport as a whole that is Absolutely, I wouldn't expect them to do any anything less because they have their own remits and they will act in the best interest of their own remit. Of course, they will. That's that's their raison d'être. But it, it is to the detriment of of the greater good of the sport. Um, I don't see how it's going to change. Changing would involve s- s- relinquishing of power, and yeah. who's going to do that? You, you would actually almost have to have. Um all of the governing bodies, ITF, WTA, ATP, Grand Slams, all just decide to have sort of some amnesty of power and just throw it all in and say, we're going to give up all our rights and let's all agree we're going to start again. You know, it's Power never doesn't going to work happen. like that, does no, it? No, it doesn't. Yeah. And, and, I mean, which, which does make it fascinating to me as to how they got to that position in the NBA and the NFL where you have a commissioner and it's, it's, it's that person who votes well that's the other thing isn't it i mean nobody designed tennis to be structured like this administratively did they it's just sort of accidentally evolved this way if you were starting from scratch there is absolutely no way you would design the the current administrative structure that we have no way in a million years Mm. if someone handed in a proposal for you that you'd have uh, an itf that's in charge of grand slams davis cup and fed cup but actually each of the individual slams can also make quite a lot of their own decisions and they sort of are unified but also sort of not and then there'd be uh, an atp that represents both tournaments and tennis players even though those two things are quite often in conflict and you'd have the same on the women's tour and there would be some joint events but um they would be run uh, completely separately by the two tours and then there'd be a, a third stream of the, the tournaments running them as well i mean no <laughs> Uh, no, Did you you'd be all laughed that? out of town if you if you <laughs> walked in and gave a presentation proposing that to, as, as the best course of action. But here we are. My mother, who doesn't really follow tennis that closely, but she's an absolutely avid tennis podcast listener. Can't think why, but she would listen to what you've just said, and she would she would have given up about thirty seconds in because it just sounds yeah. Nonsense. It's a camel. It's a camel, and we need a horse. 
A camel is a horse designed by committee. Right. Yes, I'm with you now. Yeah. See, I, I also <laughs> couldn't follow the line of thought. But now I get it, you see. As long as you make it very clear, Catherine, I'm with you. Um, it is a problem uh, because... At the moment, things are just getting stuck. We've got this situation with the World Team Cup and and we still don't know yet whether the ITF plans for their Davis Cup in year-end finale will, will be voted through. And it's my fear is that we end up with just an unsatisfactory end result for the sport of tennis. Well, this this could have changed by the time you're listening to this, but the the situation is that the last we heard from Chris Commode, the the chairman, executive chairman of the ATP, was he said it would be insane madness um, for both the ITF and the ATP to go ahead with their team tournament proposals, and then what, about a month later, the ATP go ahead and, and announce they're they're doing theirs and then the ITF quickly have to respond and say okay well we're doing ours too and you just think and it's the players uh, in that instance just thinking well yeah we don't like this proposal we want our own thing so they've basically I imagine forced Chris's hand and and he has to he has to back them Um, yeah but it's it's individual interests isn't it you've got mm. competing individual interests and um, very frustrating yeah but yeah. I'm an optimist. One day, maybe, it will change. It's not going to change, is it? Right. Catherine's taught me out of it. It's not going to change. Uh, you'll be delighted to know that Melanie Bowes has chosen a question from Pavy G. Oh, boy. Certainly, Pavy G's delighted. Um, and that question is, as Boris Becker walks past. He just said ciao to us, David. Did he? Yeah. Is that hello He's or goodbye? He's a multilingual man. I believe it can be both. Can it? So it was like a hello, goodbye, I'm not going to stop to talk to you. Okay, right. See you then, Boris. Ciao. Uh... Pavi G says... Oh, Pavi. How has Pavi made it onto our podcast? Well, he's got in with Melanie Bowes and Bob's your uncle. Uh, were you surprised <sighs> at Shapovalov having such a poor grass court season? Which youngster impressed you most on grass? I have to say I was surprised uh, at Shapovalov having a poor grass court season in as much as, as everybody knows, I think he's a fantastic player to watch. You have thought that even longer than I have because you saw him play I think in, in early in, adopter yeah, I was. <laughs> I'm trying to big you up Catherine Thanks. don't gloat alright um, but yes you spotted him before me I accept that um, and I'm one of those people that's like well I, I had their first album yeah and I, I did notice you, you're about to say well I'm not that keen on him anymore um, but um, I, I think he is tailor made for grass. Really, you would think he is, and and he has struggled. He didn't. He's had what maybe a couple of match wins on all the tournaments. He lost first round at Queens. He's lost. I think he lost first round here against second, Benoit Paire. Second round second to Benoit Paire. Yeah. yeah, and he won the first set six love in that match. So, but at the same time, you've got to bear in mind the the guy is what is he nineteen? Yeah, he's it's nineteen. So young, and yes, I know Pavi G. You are constantly singing the praises of Sitsapas and you think that TFO is a better player than Shapovalov um, well look he might be a better player right now I just don't think he's got anything like the potential of Shapovalov Sitsapas uh, I must say I do yeah TFO I would put in the Kyle Edmund category I mm. think I think he has top 10 potential and you know from the top 10 anything's possible he could you know reach grand slam finals maybe you know, win one uh, I'm certainly not predicting that for him he's got he's an incredible athlete I, I love the guy I'd love to see him break through he's got a funky funky style um, that's great to watch but is error prone I think um, so yeah I'd put him in the Kyle Edmund category of uh, 
yeah, I, 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 not all of those specific things apply to Carl Edman. Put it this way, I'd be surprised if Carl Edman wins a slam. But um, mm. There's a good question. Will Carl Edman win a slam? I think he could, but I'm not predicting it. At I this think he'll stage. get to a final. Yeah, I think he might too. I mm. think he might too. I think he might. Um, think he might. Uh, be top 10 periods of his career um, and I think the same may very well be true for TFO the potential of Denis Shapovalov is greater without question and the potential of um, Stefano Tsitsipas is greater it doesn't mean they'll achieve it I mean Xavier Melis had great potential yes but um, do you think though that maybe whilst I, I agree I think he has greater potential I think Shapovalov could win slams and be world number one potentially do you feel, though, with his type of pretty flashy game, and I remember when I spoke to Leighton Hewitt about it on the podcast a, a few weeks back and asked him about him, you know, because I, I was hoping he would say how good he was. He said he, he, he was polite and he was complimentary, but he also said he's, he's going to be a really flashy player. And, and it doesn't really go with Leighton Hewitt, does it generally? Because Hewitt's the complete opposite of that. He's not a flashy player. You could describe Roger Federer as a flashy player, though. Well, you could, but this is why I think we're, we're, we're going to be at a junction here at some point. Well, basically, we're, the, the parallel to, to, to draw is, is, is uh, Grigor Dimitrov, mm. isn't it? Showtime what, is what Brad Gilbert calls him. He's got so many options at his disposal, and he too often goes for the, the flashiest one. I think that there is a fundamental chip missing in Grigor Dimitrov which is that just quickest route to win points chip it's the point construction you know uh, Danny Valverde has tried to build it by analog means you know build in those those repeatable patterns of play those meat and drink ways to win points but they're not digitally inbuilt he doesn't have the instinct for it Um, I see more of it in Denis Shapovalov than I do in Grigor Dimitrov. Yeah, he is an instinctive player, he is. isn't he? There's, there's a way to go, without question, but he is 19. In modern tennis terms, that is extraordinarily young. And it's only because of how rapidly and extravagantly he broke through that we've so quickly adjusted our expectations of him. And now, OK, we're having to row back a little bit, but, uh, yeah... I'm not predicting he's going to be one of the greatest ever, but I'd be surprised if he didn't win slams. Mm. Yeah, and I also think he has an appetite for the sport, which will keep him coming back for more each time. And he's smart. He's smart. From what I can gather, he seems really switched on um, and a learner. I'm not saying Grigor Dimitrov isn't those things. I just think that that digital tennis chip is missing. Mm. Where do I get one of those? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if only they were available off the shelf. Maybe Amazon come to my rescue, given we are partners with you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Marchesa, I think that is. Marchesa. Marchesa. Well, if it's like the fashion label... Marquesa the now discredited Dania. fashion label. I don't know, Catherine. I don't know about anything to do with fashion, as you well know. Uh, anyway, this person wants to know, did this year's Wimbledon demonstrate that it really is time that women should be playing best of five in the slams? There were some flat matches and others would have benefited from a longer format. Females are more than capable, and in my humble opinion, it is necessary and would end the prize money arguments once and for all. I think we have uh, we're in a position of agree well I won't speak for you my position is uh, I see it very simply now I see one very clear best solution and I believe it's a solution not just to the equality issue but to a a wide variety of issues which is um, best of three in men's and women's up until the quarterfinals best of five in men's and women's from quarterfinals onwards boom yeah, I, I, I would agree. I think um, I think you you have so many matches early on that it, best of five does it, yeah it does tire people out and clog it all up. Um, but best of three late on can re- result in duds, and we had two pretty dud semi-finals in the women's tournament this year, for instance, and and then you end, it ends up being just this stick to beat women's tennis with, doesn't it? Because, oh, Kevin Anderson and Djokovic won in five hours plus, so how can they get the equal prize money? Yeah, and well, there are loads okay, of other but examples. Kevin Anderson would have lost limply to Roger Federer in straight sets in the quarterfinals if uh, they were playing best of three. Yes. And no, everyone but, would have talked about how one-sided that but, match was. But that's why best of five late on in the women's game in order to, to just remove nerves as a consideration, early nerves at least, so that you don't have matches lost before they've begun. A good example that you brought up when we had Mary Carrillo on one of our daily Wimbledon pods uh, this week was the Ostapenko-Kerber yeah. semi-final. I-, I can't believe that she wouldn't have 
she was finding she had found her feet in that match by the end and as I discussed with Mary it was only because Kerber had secured that double break you know Kerber <laughs> knew at a set and three love what Ostapenko does at a set and three love up in big matches you know from the French Open final last year and she made absolutely damn sure she got that double break but she was right to make sure because then came Ostapenko she was coming it was just too late and had she had more time that could have been a match without question um and we were denied that I remember saying the same after the 2013 final when Sabina Lizicki started coming back against Marion Bartoli but she was too late and I mean, I don't think Eugenie Bouchard ever would have come back against Petra Kvitova the way it was going, but it would have been nice to have seen just another set of it, just to absolutely make sure. Really. Yeah, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just to make sure. No doubts about it. Yeah, and, and also question. just to remove the asterisk for some people yeah. that they hold against women's tennis and to stop this debate. Yeah, um, we sh- yeah. We I to object this, to there even Catherine. being a debate. So. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, we're all That's, in agreement. Yeah, we're we're agreed. Yeah, mm-hmm. sorted. We sorted it, David. Yeah, right. Uh, One it, step at a time. Is that passed now? <laughs> Can we just crack on? Uh, so, uh, DVD Smith, David Smith, I believe it is, or says, "Do you think Jamie Murray's successes?" He asks this on Instagram. Do you think Jamie Murray's successes are underappreciated? He's won four Grand Slams in the two and a half years, um, and he has. Helped Andy with the Davis Cup triumph, yet he has never made the Sport Personality of the Year nomination and gets a fraction of the coverage of the singles players. I would say doubles in general is underappreciated. I think for doubles players, generally, I think I think the other doubles players would probably look at Jamie and think he probably does pretty well, yeah. attention and sponsorship-wise and all the rest of it, um, because of where he's from because he has a home grand slam because of who his brother is because he did help us win a davis cup uh title um but without question doubles is is underappreciated doubles is in crisis right now and and uh the games are recognizing that the men's game in particular i actually think men's doubles is in a lot more of a crisis than than women's doubles is um and they've they're trying things. I just aren't don't they? know what you can do because uh, I've, been yeah. on, I've been working in tennis for 20 years. And I remember 20 years ago when I joined the ATP, they hired a chap who was, whose sole responsibility was to kind of market doubles and figure out a way to, to put it and make it relevant. And that, I'm sure that person's efforts were, were very worthy and, and, and imaginative. And people have come up with all sorts of ideas. But it's never really happened, and you still you still don't get doubles matches scheduled on show courts at prime time unless somebody comes from the singles field and plays, and you still don't get it on the television enough. I mean, so I thought Sky have done a pretty good job over the last year or two. They always show the Masters yeah. finals, don't they? And they show a lot of Jamie's they, matches. They've done a decent yeah. job of it, but still, it still feels like it's just this kind of awkward pain in the ass really that it's there and that shouldn't be that shouldn't be what it's like because when you see a match and I've seen a couple of mixed doubles matches here at Wimbledon people are so engrossed when they're there and when you think of the Davis Cup they're the highlights of the of the ties most often yeah yeah and it is particularly bizarre because doubles is the format of the sport that most participants play the majority of Mm. tennis that's played certainly in this country is doubles 
Um, I hate playing doubles, incidentally. Do you? Yeah. Oh, I, li- I quite like it now. Can we have a game of doubles? <laughs> no, because I hate it. No, but I like it. I know why you like it. You're exactly the sort of player that would like doubles. Why? All slicing and dicing and all, like, just flirting with the tennis ball. I just want to belt the thing. Right. Your partner doesn't tend to like it if you belt it out of the court, no. I've found. No, I don't think... I don't think we'd be a very good doubles partnership somehow. I don't... I'm not, sure, not convinced it would work. I don't... I think you might get a bit irritated by me. I'm, su- I'm surprised my parents are still together after some of our family mixed doubles matches. That's the closest I've ever seen them to a marital crisis. <laughs> I think the only way you can really make doubles relevant... I think there's two things. One is... You, you've, you'd have to change the game and, and make it so that it's a combined ranking and you know players need need to play doubles and they and everybody has to if everybody had to play doubles if they just like if it was Davies Cup if you just couldn't play tennis unless you played doubles as well then that would change because you get lots of lots of singles players playing it and all these big names and you develop one uh, the problem is you'd put doubles players out of a job that's the uh, the danger and the other thing is. I think everybody's responsible for it. We all kind of look at each other as if to say, well, how come doubles isn't getting any coverage? And yet, do we give it enough coverage? No, we no, don't. No, we don't. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, you know, I, I do feel on on slightly sticky territory when when I'm... Although I, I think it misses misses the wider point, when you know, when I'm sticking up for equality and everything when people say what about doubles what about the wheelchair events then shouldn't they get equal prize money and certainly for the wheelchair events i i find it hard to particularly hard to argue against that um i don't i don't i don't think the answer to that is is to to doubt women's right to equality but i do think there is something to be looked at there for Mm. sure and you know with prize money comes incentive comes caring you know, what, the the only question mark I have over sort of assuming that the answer to the doubles crisis is to get more top players playing is that I don't think it's that great a look for doubles or for sport in general to have people doing it, you know, for a bit of fun on the side. I want to watch sport where people sure. care, where, that, you know, they feel like their life is on the line. But they do in Davis Cup. They do. Because they make it an integral part of the whole sport yeah. and the point of the sport you're absolutely right but I think what they've tried to do they, they've tried a few things to try and incentivise top to make players it more convenient more convenient and all of that but and I feel like all that's done is make them sort of every now and then just stick their name into a doubles draw knowing they'll lose first round you know just to get a bit of extra match practice on a new surface or whatever and I I don't think that actually does doubles any favours mm. um, and I suspect it probably riles the week in week out doubles players um so yeah i we're in agreement again david do i me uh well let's try something else two more questions here one well both of them from melanie bowes our executive producer our extraordinarily um psychic um tennis intuitive um executive producer i don't know i don't she she knows things david she's like that octopus she she is the paul the octopus of the tennis podcast world of the tennis world the predicting world she claims last year was some sort of fluke and yet here she is 2018 (laughs) top of the pile (laughs) doing it again uh she says i have a question about what you thought about andy murray's commentary and pundit slot uh for the bbc 
do you think it's something he, he could consider when he retires? Um, and, you know, is he going to be a commentator or a, or a coach? I mean, I think he well could be both. Yep. Agreed. I, I don't. I don't see him going to every tournament and and slogging around being a commentator all the time. But I do feel that he will be here at Wimbledon in the future, and I think he will probably do more of it as time passes. On probably on the side of being a coach, I definitely think he'll be a coach. Yeah, I th- I think so too. I think his brain is too tuned into the tennis wavelength he's too much of a student on of the game to stay away a bit like Leighton Hewitt I don't think it will be in in the playing sense in quite the same way but Hewitt just I mean he 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 does do punditry and commentary and he he just can't you feel like if he steps more than six feet away from tennis like his his nerves start twitching um that's an extreme example but I do think Murray will be the same to an extent I think he enjoys talking about tennis um, he enjoys arguing. He enjoys arguing. Um, yeah. He enjoys proving people wrong and and having statistical evidence with which to do it. He enjoys he enjoys making you look just ever so slightly silly by very clever quick put downs. What I found particularly interesting about him, I mean, it didn't surprise me at all that he was a good pundit because that's kind of just being interviewed, isn't it? And he's spent his whole life being interviewed, and and I think he's a very very good interviewee. Um, in terms of the commentary, I am not a fan of the three three commentators in a box thing. I know it's trendy and and you know it's hard to argue with having you know John McEnroe and whoever it might be Kim Kleisters or whatever. The more Grand Slams in a box, the better. But I personally don't think it works. I think one Kim Kleisters and one John McEnroe, you know, give them the the space to say what they want to say. It really worked with Andy Murray because he w- wanted to argue with the other, as it was at the time, Tim Hemman. He wanted to bounce off him. He wanted to to compete with Tim also in a gentle way. Um, he's also a I naturally... I thought he made the three-way commentary work. He's quite a naturally curious before. person. Uh, yeah. And, and I think he shares this in common with Roger Federer to some degree. But I've sometimes been in situations with Andy Murray and I don't know him well. I, I sort of always... He's always very polite, and we we get along fine. But I, I, I've not spent huge amounts of time with him at all, and yet I've sometimes found myself in locker rooms and um, uh, player lounges, sitting on my own, minding my own business, and he will be sitting nearby on his own, minding his own business, and then I'll suddenly find he just asks me something out of the blue, um, and I'm not I'm not sort of expecting that. And it's just because something's occurred to him and he's curious how something might work in the media or what I might have thought of, I don't know, uh, um, a situation with a player or, or whatever it might be. And and he wants to know, he, he just wants to know people's opinions. It's not about me. It's not like, oh, David Law matters. It's just, so I'm there. And, and I, 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 I've seen him do that with you when you've sat down to interview him and he's asked you two or three questions about who you're working for and what that's like and, and who, where you're going to be next week and things like that. Yeah, I remember at the French Open uh, last year, this really stuck with me, um, I was interviewing him after a match. It would have been an early round match, first or second round, and it was the day that that thing had happened with the French Eurosport reporter that got... Um, groped really on air by uh, by a, a French player um, Mali Thomas and um, yeah it was all really really unpleasant and uh, it made news over here as well um, obviously there's been the 
Chris Gale thing. You know, there'd been a bit of a spate of them, and, and uh, it was very topical and and caught quite a lot of attention. And uh, Murray had obviously read about it or something, or seen a news alert about it, or whatever, in the locker room, and he was asking me all about it, what I thought about it. He wanted to know whether it had ever happened to me. Um, and uh, yeah, usually, I mean, a tennis player or sports person of any kind would want to steer away from that kind of um, topic uh, as quickly as possible. But he was so curious about it, and um, yeah, uh, yeah, he's curious. That's the conclusion. Hmm. Final question on this particular listener's questions special with executive producer Melanie Bowes. Her her final question is uh, from her dad actually she says my dad uh, she says uh he's a big tennis fan but doesn't have the first clue about podcasting never mind the tennis podcast no offense intended his question is Catherine, what's her background how did she get into tennis commentary because he he remembers me over the years i've been around a bit longer than Catherine, uh, hence the gray hair um but Catherine seems relatively new to the scene to him New to the scene. It's good, isn't it? You're on a you're on part of a scene. <laughs> awesome. Oh my goodness, where to start uh, with this? This uh, feels um, a bit self-indulgent. Tune out now if you have no interest in <laughs> in uh, my professional background. Um, so I got a I got a job as an intern in a press office at. Queens uh, in the the end of my year abroad from university uh, uh, I finished my year abroad a little bit early and I thought what can I do and I thought goodness me that sounds like something I'd like to do uh, applied for it and uh, got it and met David Law <laughs> um, we didn't work together that much that week but I knew that he was sort of the guy to to try and get in with um, and uh, long story short, David uh, gave me a bit of work experience. We ended up uh, working together. I ended up working for David uh, for a long time. Um, and during that period, I had the chance to dip my toe, not even my whole toe, just the tip of my toe, really, into the broadcasting waters. I did quite a bit of interviewing, and I loved that. And I remember David got me a few days of work experience with Five Live here um, here at Wimbledon, um, one year so I knew I liked it but I didn't really know what to do with it or what my direction was um and then one day David says we're going to start a tennis podcast and I just sort of went along with it and thought yeah that's great um and there we were doing it and um yeah there's a there's a blip in the tail which is where I sort of left tennis and uh decided I need to sort of satisfy my curiosity and try something completely different and felt like I needed to know what a a normal sort of nine to five was like so I left tennis and did that for for 10 months turns out it was it was dreadful (laughs) and uh but uh, I spent that 10 months formulating my plan with the help of of David um and sort of made me zero in I guess on exactly what elements of, of the job I liked most and that was broadcasting and uh, luckily I'd built up enough contacts um, during my time you know, working for David doing mostly PR and communications in tennis that a couple of people gave me a chance and um, in fact a couple of people that did give me that chance it was as a result of hearing, hearing the podcast so yeah, big slice of luck bigger slice of David Law's help 
um, and a sort of quite a long period of figuring out precisely what it is I wanted to do and um, yeah making the most of of opportunities I guess that's a a very uh, trite note um, on which to end that answer and I'm sorry for for talking about myself for two minutes but um, you asked (laughs) and there it is so there it is indeed And that just about brings a close to our listener question special for another episode. Uh, We will be back, of course, with further tennis podcasts over the course of the summer. Not exactly sure what will happen when, but we plan to be with you every single week all the way up to the US Open and then, of course, daily throughout the US Open. We have been The Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph, sponsored by Amazon Prime Video, the new home of the US Open in the UK and the US Open getting closer all the time we can't wait but we'll have a little bit of a break first you know still bring you the pod but uh you know uh, we we get to just relax a little and uh look forward to the remaining summer tournaments the hard court season is just around the corner and we'll be bringing you podcasts around that of course uh we say thanks to melanie bose our executive producer for choosing the questions today and throwing a few in uh, herself thanks to everybody who sent them in uh, over the course of the last few days in order for us to do this show and uh all also, thanks, of course, to our other executive producers, Triple S, Tennisballs.com, our mascot, Charlie the Ferret, uh, our other sponsor, The Manga Club, and uh, we will be with you again very soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.